morning and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. And science advisor Matt Moniz is here as well. Psychic medium Stephanie Burke has the night off, but we have a very special oh, guest co-host really tonight hanging out in her place. It's been a while since we've had her on the program, but Rachel Hoffman is here with us. Good evening, Rachel. How are you? Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be back. Thank you. It's great to have you back. We were we were kind of discussing this uh, earlier this week on social media, trying to figure out like when you were last on the show. <laughs> I was only off by like a decade, I think. So, <laughs> so you were here. Well, the last time I think you were on the show was for a Bridgewater Triangle investigation show. Yeah, that's right. Yes, and it was that really interesting year. The last year we had Matt Costa here, where he set it all up so you guys could stream video onto our Facebook page and we could grab it and put it out onto the broadcast. And so thank you for being a guinea pig in that experiment. But No problem. I, I actually thought that we were going to do it again today. That's why I you, came naked. You thought it was going to be... hopeful. It was going to be a, an investigation show? <laughs> we could have done it, but the weather didn't really play along, unfortunately. Uh, but, and then, you know... I mean, I like to, I always like to overplay the significance of how important Spooky South Coast is. So uh, I will point out that weren't we were your first radio interview? You were my first and uh, my best. Well, thank you. I've, uh, I've heard some of the other shows out there. So, you know, it's not like we're competing against anything. No, I'm kidding. Every, every, actually, I just saw you on a show recently. Uh, it was a, a streaming show, a YouTube show. And uh, really, you know, I've, what I've noticed is that, and we're going to get into this, that now that you're working in horror films uh, and, and independent horror films, there's a huge loyal fan base and a huge interest level in that. It's pretty much on par with the paranormal. There's, there's just as much people that are into not just horror. We know people are into that, but the indie horror uh, really has a huge following. It really does. And the uh, biggest significant difference I feel like between the paranormal and horror is horror fans actually have money. <laughs> paranormal it's just like eat dirt die you know uh, a lot of people like we have discussed before come into this gung-ho and so all about like i'm gonna be famous and i'm gonna get paid for this and they they don't realize in the paranormal field what you're actually going to be doing is losing money right you're spending a lot of money right. this is a hobby uh it's an interesting hobby it's a high level hobby uh a lot of us want to embark on a career level status with this and i think initially we we're also hopeful we want to get paid to do what we love. It's human nature. See, I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit different. Well, Moniz is definitely different because he's super old and he's been doing this since before there was television. So, yeah. uh, but with me, you know, I got involved in the paranormal through with the media already. Like Moniz came on board with the show three months into our tenure. We started in January. I think you started in March yeah. of 20, uh, 2006. So, uh, by the way, anniversary is coming up next month. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, by, when he came in, Matt Costa and I were just sitting here talking about the paranormal and then reading about it online. We hadn't actually ever gone out and investigated. I did one thing for a newspaper article, but it was a joke. Uh, so... Moniz came in and he was like, well, you're not just going to sit here and talk about it. I'm going to take you yeah. out in the field. And the first investigation we ever did, which we can't talk about the location anymore on the air, but the first investigation we ever did, we came back with something. So then, you in know. In triplicate. We, and from then on, I was hooked. Yeah. So, you know, anybody that's ever, like, accused me and said, oh, you're just trying to use the paranormal, you know, to, to get yourself famous. I'm like, <laughs> I was famous before the paranormal. I'm making the paranormal famous. So, which is, you know, not true at all. But 
uh, there is, you know, as you said, though, with the horror community, they do have the same, it, it, there's a lot of the same bits to the fandom. So if you're not, you know, somebody trying to make your way in either, and you're just a fan of, of either genre, you know, there's just as there's paranormal conventions that paranormal fans can go to, there are horror conventions that horror fans can go to. Uh, but I also notice that the horror fans are far more into the collectibles than the paranormal fans are. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm guilty of, I have a Michael Myers mask in my office, but you know, I don't see people like getting a, you know, a, a Zach Bagans mask and, yeah. and wearing that for Halloween. So True. there really is a, it's a, it's a, it's a much more, in my opinion, dedicated fan base because they're into it and they're into it for life. And with the paranormal, like, you know, you might fluctuate in what you're interested in it. You might gravitate toward one field of study at first and then be gravitating toward another because it catches your interest or something happens that changes your mind. But like you're a Halloween fan, you like Michael Myers, Michael Myers is your guy forever. Forever. And, and it seems that way with some of the characters that you're playing. You're already building fan bases for these characters in some cases before the movies have even come out. I I. I can't say enough about how like enamored and excited I am about it. it. A lot of people are like, how did this happen to you? And I'm like, it literally fell out of the sky. It didn't happen to me like because I was out there and on Hollywood Boulevard, I was in my tiny little school bus that I was building to try to keep myself out of depression during COVID. And I was taking pictures and super excited when things opened back up. And the first day that I got the opportunity uh, to go back to work in the entertainment industry, I was super excited. And I was like, yay, I get to go back to bartending today. And I was just really happy. And I think that that read to my audience. And my audience at the time happened to be a producer for different horror movies. So he was like, I really like your energy. And he stood back for a while and watched me. And then he came out and he approached me afterwards and he said, would you like to be in a movie with Stormy Daniels? And I was like, you're right. Forget it. You're lying. Like, wait, what kind of movie with <laughs> yeah, Stormy Daniels? Yeah, exactly. Well, my, that's what my dad said. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I was like, uh, yeah, so I didn't really buy it at first. And then he was like, well, let me throw you right up on the IMDb after we discuss some things. And I was like, okay. And it started becoming very real very quickly. And so I got opportunity after opportunity, and it seemed like when I was on the rise, uh, a lot of people reached out to me. I had to turn down some things last year because everything started rolling after COVID. We were like six weeks here, six weeks there, Oklahoma. And, and people were probably creating so much while they're locked down. They're writing. They're they're starting to put together these scripts and these ideas. So, yeah, they've, now they've got these ideas. They want to rush into production before, you know, things get shut down again. <laughs> and that's what happened. We were, for uh, the Hope, Oklahoma gig, we were in between uh, the standard for travel, being in the same arena, making sure that everybody was following the same rules. So it was only a matter of time to pump out what the entertainment industry would later in 2022 produce. And I just want to point this out because I know as much as we have a great paranormal audience here on WBSM listening to their show every week, the rest of the week, I know what the audience falls under the guise of. So they hear the name Stormy Daniels and they, you know, ah, Stormy she's a wonderful person. Absolutely. You've had the chance to really become friendly with her. I've had the chance to interview her and, and, and talk to her, you know, offline and, and, and get to know who she is as a person. And she's definitely not the way that she's mm -hmm. been portrayed in the media. She's, and he, by the way, hugely, hugely intelligent, very sharp wit. Yes. And, and certainly somebody who is going to go very far 
in these types of films. Yeah, and what happened was I people will talk about Stormy and they'll talk about the hat that she wore. It's like she wears so many hats. Mm-hmm. And like honestly, she's she's all over the map and she's psychic. So it was a thread that I was like, wow, she's sexy. She dresses sexy. She's not afraid to be who she is. And she maintains her sense of self. But also, she was my boss. So I got to visualize her in action with the director hat on. And it was pure sunshine. Especially going from being in every industry in this category right now. It's a male-run community. And so to see a female get in there and really put that hat on and gain that respect immediately. Because she has that presence in the room. It was a relief for me, and uh, it uh, it actually it it made the entire production come to fruition. And she's also for those who are listening here uh, that are interested in the paranormal. It's going to get to the point where all of this stuff that you know her from before is going to be a footnote in her career because she's a very very talented psychic, uh, very psychic, uh, very talented tarot card reader, and you're going to start to see more of her in the paranormal field. And if anybody has a problem with that, you have a problem with me. Yep. Because me too. we shouldn't be standing in the way of somebody who wants to explore that, uh, especially when this is coming. And I know that what a lot of people are thinking if they haven't heard the story. Um, they're thinking that she's glomming on to something else that's popular where she can get involved in the paranormal world because, you know, this, this is something where people aren't judgmental and this is like the new way she's trying to stay relevant. No, I... I found out from her what it was that made her go down this path. And you, if, if, and I don't want to speak for her, you can go back and listen to the midnight society episode. I did. Maybe I'll even run it on this show sometime so everybody can hear it. But she really opened up and I, if I remember right, she said she hadn't really talked about it as much uh, in public as she did on that show. And when I heard that, I was like, anybody that second guesses why she's involved in this, just listen to that little clip and you'll say, Oh, that's the same reason why I'm interested in it too. Yeah, and there's a, there's that common thread. It's the quantum entanglement of the paranormal. And honestly, like, we spend so much time, and with myself, I had a lot of haters in the beginning. You know, I show a lot of cleavage. We're so hyper-focused on what we're wearing. We're in a physical world right now. We're studying a spiritual world that's above us metaphysically, and we're hyper-focused on the clothing that we're putting on our back. That speaks on two different volumes right there. Isn't we can't everybody be on naked underneath anyway? Right. Weren't we born naked? Oh, I hope not. I don't want my mom to see me with no clothes on. My sister was born with clothes on, Heather. She tells me all the time. She's like, I was born with clothes on and you weren't. Well, my uncle told me once when he was born, when he was born, he was seven years old. So he might have, he might have been fully clothed. But let's, let's get into that a little bit because, so that is something that when you first came on the scene and I think it was like 2007, maybe thereabouts, uh, when Paranormal Expeditions first came out. And I even, I don't even remember how we first communicated uh, but at the time that we had you on, you probably know, MySpace. Well, yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't know who who came across who first, or but when it, when we had you on the first time, like I remember asking you the question, like you guys go out there and you do these photo shoots and you draw a lot of attention for your appearance, and you know, are you worried about the backlash of that? Think about that now. Mm-hmm. In 2007, that was a viable discussion that we were having in 2021 almost 22 now like it's almost like you shouldn't even ask that question anymore yeah now i feel like i i was part of the part of the 
the hate club that that paved the way. I, people hated me. I mean, I didn't know. When I came on your guys' show, I was like, everybody loves me. Nobody was walking up to me and being like, you suck. But they honestly did not like me. And I didn't understand why at first. And then afterwards, I was like, you know what? There's people that have been here for 10 years working their asses off, really working their butts off. And they have some really credible evidence in the paranormal field. And here I come in less than a year and I wind up on national TV. And at first I was like, why does everybody hate me so much? Like, I didn't understand. I was like, I, I thought I was doing something great and something that was the same as everybody else. And just like really being the woman that I am. And I did that. And that's what gained me the attention. It was that they were producing the evidence. I was producing the evidence. They were quiet and shy about it in their appearance levels and they were letting the evidence speak for itself. Which, honestly, outside of the community and into the field, that's the right way to go about it. Now, flash forward into the community, which is the very present in your face now happenings. It's it's today. It's, it's what's happening right now. It's in your face. And you get somebody to look and then you get them to listen. They, they won't understand the line either between what is paranormal entertainment and what is paranormal investigation. And I, I say that from a matter of the people who are in charge of TV have certain factors that they're looking for in television. Yeah. And so like one of the problems with TV, and I hear this all the time, why isn't there an all-female paranormal investigation show? I will tell you the reason why. Because the predominant audience for these programs is, is middle-aged women <laughs> and middle-aged women don't want to see a TV show where a bunch of other women all get along. Yeah. And they don't want to see a bunch of women who are smart and doing smart things. Mm -hmm. They like to watch shows like Real Housewives where everybody fights with each other. And, you know, nothing against what people like to, to entertain themselves with. I think it's because, you know, that's not what they see in their everyday life. They're trying to get along with everybody in their life. So they're not going to watch it. And the other problem is people don't like when the person on a reality show appears smarter than them. Mm-hmm. That's a, a fundamental rule in reality TV. That's why we watch Honey Boo Boo and, you know, all these other shows. Chris. We want to watch people that have problems that we don't have. Yeah. And if somebody goes and does something that we think is cool, like the paranormal, we still want to yell at them about how stupid they are for doing it the way that they're doing it. Right. Which, so that's why it's very hard to have a show with women on it because people just feel bad naturally yelling at women <laughs> yes. and calling them stupid. So it's, it's those factors are kind of what stood in the way. You're going up against that. And you're getting blowback from people when you do try to, when you do have opportunities to break through those barriers, people are saying, oh, well, you know, she's just getting on TV for this reason or for that reason. And not because fundamentally at the very beginning, you were doing the good work first. Yeah. And well, uh, Zach actually asked me to be on the Paranormal Challenge one year before the Paranormal Challenge was ever even heard of by any individuals out in the paranormal field. And they didn't say, hey, knock, 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 it's Zach Bagans asking you to be on this. They just asked me to be on it, and I said no. And I said no in the interest of not wanting to go in, into a competition and lose. Well, let's face it. It was a really stupid idea for a program. If you're trying to f you know, push the paranormal mm -hmm. and you're trying to help with that, it was a dumb idea to pit people against each other now, in that regard. I agree with that. If they would have pitted the evidence against because my evidence would have won if I wasn't a hot girl. And I hate to say it, but that's true. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but if you watch it as a spectator in the paranormal field, you would take 
a Class A EVP over a questionable matrixed photo. Right. But I also, like, I think the way that it should have worked is you should have had Team A and Team B and then just see, see what they get. No, I even just putting them out there as personalities mm-hmm. is fine. But just see what happens and see what you get and just let that exist. Don't put a competition aspect of it as one is better than the other and one's going to win. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it kind of drew drew a line that shouldn't have been drawn, especially at that point in time. Yeah. If it was just like, let's... Let's see the differences between how this team does the same location this team does. That would have really furthered the paranormal. But and it was more just a matter of, you know, we have to kind of capitalize on the paranormal and put it in a game show type format. I understand, you know, why those decisions were made. And we were the fifth actually filmed and the first shown because the drama that happened mm-hmm. on the show while we were on there. And they, I think they wanted me to like go off more. Zach invited me back onto the show with the other females that won. I cannot remember their name for the life of me now. Um, they were the hot girls. They were. I know them, but I can't think of it either. They were like, in in their, in the paranormal name was like basically hot girl paranormal. And I actually became friends with one of them and went out to California and hung out with her and everything. So it was like, it, we were supposed to be pitted against each other as enemies um, to come up with like the top evidence. And that show, I believe Dave Schrader was the one that was like, no, we're not doing that. And then, so he called it on that. He was my judge in the first paranormal challenge. I don't know if that was supposed to be some kind of a pissing contest or Hot females against hot females and ratings. Like, I really don't know what the whole thing was. But it started becoming more about showcasing than evidence. It started becoming more about get your team on television than what really mattered. People forget, too, if you go back to season one of Ghost Hunters, and I know it's been a while since people have seen it, (laughs) so you can check it out on the Discovery Plus app and go back and see it. But if you watch season one of Ghost Hunters, there was a lot of... And again, I've never spoken to anybody about this. I mean, I I, I know everybody that was on that season. Mm-hmm. I've talked to everybody that was involved in the show in those days. And so I don't, I'm not saying that this is something that anybody's told me, but it seemed like there was a lot of manufactured drama mm-hmm. in that first season. Like, you know, Jay's wife doesn't like the fact that the team is meeting in the, you know, trailer out in their front yard. And, and you know, there, there's problems with Brian Harnwa being undependable. And then the whole thing that happened with Brian Bell, which we heard about ad nauseum the night that he showed up <laughs> at one of our things. Um, but, you know, that was a lot of that was like, let's because we need to have that reality TV show angle. aspect. Yeah. And then they started to realize that, no, the paranormal is enough. And, and what's going on is enough. And I think you were kind of involved in, in Paranormal Challenge at a time when they were still like, we need to have some of these other factors involved. Now it's almost like the people they bring on to the shows are sanitized. Yeah. You know, now it's more like they just seem like, let's get somebody who looks the part and can let's like build deliver. Let's a cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't even know if it's necessarily that. I mean, you can say, oh, they've got the tattooed guy. Oh, they've got the goth girl. Oh, like you can look at some of the the tropes. The the, the typical CSI crew. But the other part of it is like they don't want you to bring your interpersonal stuff into the show. In fact, they cut a lot of that stuff out. So just as an example, I can speak to this because I worked on the first season of Haunted Towns. There was a lot of footage in that show of the guys really interacting with each other and having some fun and, you know, having a good time, stuff that they used to kind of show on Ghost Asylum that they just never carried over into Haunted Towns and it really pulled away from the personality of the team as part of it because they're like, no, it's not about the team. So, like, you you kind of had to go through some of those growing pains that we were realizing about what people cared about when it came to paranormal TV. 
Yeah, and what they really cared about in the long run wasn't necessarily history, evidence, location, personality. That's mm-hmm. what they cared about. They they didn't tune in to see Zach just because they were worried about the history of a they location. They were looking for drama. Yeah, the drama drama was a really great clutch aspect of watching. Yeah, you know. Well, because you have to, ha- there has to be a narrative that drives a television program. But what you were saying before is that that genre is. The middle-aged woman and Zach is that flavorful piece of candy on TV, and it used to be Friday nights every Friday night. I was a fa- I was a huge fan. I'm I'm still a huge fan. I'm, I'm a friend of Zach's. I'm not trying to say I was. I watched it when it was active on Friday nights all the time. It was Ghost Hunters, uh, Ghost Adventures, and then uh, Ryan had his show. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't even recall really what it was called. I Paranormal think they, State. Paranormal State. Yep. And that was the, those were the three staples that we had as entertainment in the paranormal and we were eating it it was good it was good i loved it it was great and eventually it got oversaturated and things got homogenized and everything kind of seemed the same and you know then they started bringing out the shows where the people had no chemistry at all uh and then i forget what the show was that i first saw and i was like oh they just put this group together they're not really a team right and you know when you don't have that chemistry it kind of forces things and we're, we're seeing a lot of fluctuation now in what people want to see for paranormal tv they're getting more back into the you know the first-hand accounts like you you've done my ghost story yep so it's like more of those type of programs where they want you to sit sit there in the chair and tell what happened and then they'll show a reenactment right which i think is actually a better way to push the paranormal now because people are looking at it and they say, okay, we accept the fact that it's real. And so now we want to hear about like how far it goes. And also if you look at the true crime now, we didn't talk about the triangle, the trifecta that's going on right now. It's not just paranormal and horror, but true crime Mm -hmm. has made its, its kind of little avenue into this arena, which makes it way more interesting and way more fun. And, And part of it is that, in a time when there wasn't a lot of crossover from that now, the crossover does exist. So you'll have a true crime podcast. It's like, okay, we're going to do this episode, but we're going to take a paranormal angle from it and bring on somebody to talk about that. And, of course, paranormal, I mean, we've always done true crime stuff here, and I know Dave's always done it with his show, but, you know, there's starting to become more true crime involvement in the paranormal side of things, too. So, And you were doing that, you know, back in the the early 2010s when you were making your own documentaries, you were bringing the intersection of the true crime and the paranormal. And one of the things that I researched was your uh, DNA structure on the Lizzie Borden house on how you found uh, live DNA over, what, 240 years old under floorboards. The the stuff about the Lizzie Borden house at that time when things were still like new and exciting, like you could go there and every time you went there, there was a new discovery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at one point we were talking, speaking of DNA, at one point Moniz was talking about uh, digging into the cistern to seeing if you could find traces of mitochondrial DNA DNA. from the supposed fetuses that were, you know, disposed of in that cistern. Yeah. So, I mean, like we, we were at a time when like all that stuff was possible. And And I had the access to the lab to analyze it too. If I'd, was allowed to take the sample. And I, read, I was reading about you guys at that point. So this was me kind of embarking into the field. And that's why it was like such a huge honor for me. This is my first show. I'm like, I was geeking out. I'm like, oh my God, freaking out. You know, we <laughs> and, brought our And then champagne. you met us. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. love you guys. Then you came in and you're like, I'm not going to do that show for another 10 years. <laughs> no, no. I was still enamored. And the, the like I said, like they're, there is a whole entire genre field that came before us, you know, that, that is uh, 
cosmology, time-tested studies, people that came way, way before us. But again, predecessors. It, you have to you have to you have to at least praise the fact that you were here before. And I hate the fact that people are coming in new and pretending that they were like old school. <laughs> oh, you know <laughs> Listen. Oh, I have no idea what you mean. Oh, are you sure? Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm going to become the I'm crank- new at this. I'm the cranky old man now. <laughs> because when we got involved in this and there's this generation of paranormal investigators who are like, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to, you know, have a radio show and all of that. And, you know, people like myself, even the old guard, you know, the Lloyd Auerbachs, uh, the Barry Tafts, the, you know, the, the, the Hans Holzer. Hans Holzer. Yes. Uh, listen, I'm sorry. I'm going back to I, my old no, school. No, but I've never really talked publicly about my Hans Holzer discussions, but. I, you know, I tried multiple times to get him to come on oh, the yeah. show and, um, and he just basically berated me on the phone all the time. Uh, every time I would call, how many listeners do you have now? And I would tell him, he's like, no, I'm still not coming on. So that's terrible. Hans Holzer. But, um, <laughs> you know, I would call up it like every, every month. Like, can you come on this month? It's the first of the month. Wake up. Wake right. Up. And he would always, you know, tear me down. So the. You know, in, in I can understand like that era. I wouldn't I wouldn't throw Brad Steiger in because he was super helpful. He was great. He was awesome to have John Zaffis, Jim oh, Mars. All, all these guys were awesome. They would always come on anytime we asked them. But there was a lot of resentment toward the fact that there was more attention for this new generation of paranormal people from the people who had been doing it for a long time. Now I'm starting to feel that way about this next generation that's coming up, the the TikTokers. Yeah. The people who are taking the research and the work that we've done and creating a one to three minute little video about it where they're talking about it and they're getting millions of views, but the podcast that they took it from isn't getting any more downloads that's now. That's the short attention span theater that we have to look forward to in the future, but you are part of the fabric of that. So it's like, eventually we start seeing the remakes of movies, hearing the lyrics or a riff of our old favorite. Like I heard uh, Rocket Man in one of my new favorite songs, but now generations wouldn't know it's Rocket Man that's in the underlying undertones of the song. You're in the fabric of the paranormal. You are going to be interwoven in this and in a hundred years from now, that little note inside the paranormal, that's Tim well, Weisberg right there. And that's it's Matt Moniz right there. It's become very weird. Like, so there was a time when like I saw a video of somebody reading a story on YouTube. I guess she does these like really long videos where she's reading stories and she's talking about them first person like they happened to her. But it was actually the story of Jill who brought in Claire the Google. doll. Yeah. And she's telling that story. She basically found Jill's Reddit post about it, which was very similar to the chapter in my book. And I, I've seen it. She, and she just funny, tells that story. Funny. Oh. You should say, and I didn't find it from your original, found it from who you're talking about now. And, and then we've had Claire here she, and, and Jill. She lived in my house for, yeah. for a couple of months. Do you want to hear the weirdest thing, Moniz? I haven't had a chance to tell you this. This <laughs> happened earlier this week. Okay. So Aaron Kaju sends me a video Okay, that's that he, nothing new. Well, but you know, he's he's he monitors Bridgewater Triangle stuff yeah, to keep obviously. an eye on it. Mm-hmm. And so he found this YouTube video about the Bridgewater Triangle that's an animated video. And it's okay. one of those to me it looks like one of those like AI created animations where like the voiceover like is very robotic and it seems like it's pronouncing things wrong and everything. So he sends me this video and I'm watching it and he's kind of watching it at the same time as we're texting each other and all of a sudden we kind of both got to the same part at once. Aaron is in the video as a cartoon 
they made a, a, a cartoon version of him. Okay. And it says Aaron Kadju on it. And that like he's talking to the character in the cartoon. And it just blew my mind. Like that's where we're at now that yeah. like people that I know are now being turned into cartoons. Yeah. That's the way it is. I, I, I expect for the future that's going to be the way it is. People want to be the animated version of themselves. They're not happy with their pores, their follicles, their mitochondrial DNA. They're not happy with well, any of that now. That, that brings me to another thing that I was kind of nervous about taking over the paranormal world a little bit. And that's what I call the spooky girl phenomenon, which is where you have these girls who are like, you know, young, attractive goth girls mm -hmm. that are making all these videos, going to haunted places. And I'm like, this is, this is not good. No, highly irresponsible. Because this is going to turn into where, um, trendy. Well, they're going to come back at us 10 years from now and be like, why does anybody take me seriously? When I try to like, share with them these ideas. So I was very nervous about it because I've seen this kind of thing happen in waves. But then I got to know some of them, you know, yeah. because I kind of made it a point to have some on my sh other show and to to kind of learn about what they're doing. And it's like, okay, they are interested and they are doing it right. And they're, they're just folklorists in a different medium. So, you know, I had to kind of adjust my old man mentality about it. And respect the platform. And, and realize like, yeah, yeah the, the important part is the story lives on. The, the things still get talked about. And it's it's hard to kind of lose ownership of some of that. Mm -hmm. But to realize the things that we have gone out and experienced now on our investigations, like Rachel was saying, now that has become part of the legend. Yeah. Instead of us being the ones commenting on the legend <laughs> now, we've joined in and become part of it. Yeah. And that's... A beautiful thing. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to, you know, put us on a pedestal. Anybody that's investigated a place and put it out there publicly, you're getting roped into the same thing. It's not right. just well, us. Yeah. You go from being part of the community to part of the field. And that happens over a period of time. There's a little grace period that we like to have in the paranormal. I think it's like around a decade. And you do become the fabric. You are the butt of the joke in the beginning. And then you will slowly make your name. You'll get put back down. You'll have family issues. You won't be out there in the in the field as much. You might be in or out or in or out. And you'll face that kind of, you know, people will be like, oh, where have you been? Oh, so what are you doing? So you're not in the field? So you're not doing this? Like, part of the paranormal is part of a spiritual world that you belong to. It's a piece of your pie. It's not the whole pie. You have other things going on in the arena of your life. You have children, family situations, sickness, love. Well, and so that's the other part of this that I think is a dangerous thing. And this goes for anybody, whether they're just an investigator or they're trying to get themselves out there more on social media or they're trying to get involved in television or whatever. The paranormal should never become your entire, Existence. everything that's about you. Right. Like, it needs to be kept in balance. Unless you're already independently wealthy, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't even mean from that perspective. I just mean, like, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be your whole persona and your right. whole personality. And, you know, Ken DeCoste and I did a show. Um, I'm thinking you were here when we did it, Moniz. But we did a whole episode on, you know, has the paranormal become a religion? And it yeah. kind of has for some cult. people. It's certainly, certainly a cult. And there's, there's cults of personality. It's been a religion as long as man's been around. If yeah. you, I'm, I, we just don't I mean, get tax free. What are, what I are don't, I don't mankind's mean, original things? Ghost no, stories no, no, no. around the fire. L hold on. I don't mean the 
the I don't mean the stories of it, and I don't mean the phenomena of it. I'm talking about investigation. Oh, just yeah. being investigators. Like I saw somebody who I knew was financially not well off, you know, having financial troubles. They got their tax return. They're like, I got three thousand dollars back from my taxes. How should I spend that on paranormal equipment? Two thousand eight hundred dollars later. And I'm like, you should not spend any of it on paranormal equipment because you don't need it. Pay the bills that you need to pay. But they're thinking... Buy a cheeseburger. They're thinking one piece of equipment and a 20-minute video on YouTube. I got this, bro. I got this. Like what equipment will... Not what equipment can I buy that will make me a better investigator. It's more like what will get me attention. Right. You know, and and I've... Listen, I, I have to promote things that I do too, so I understand it. I get it. But also at the same time, like, I think a lot of people need to sit back and look and think, what am I in this for? Yeah. Am I in this because I want answers? Am I in this because I want to help people? Or am I in this because I want to get famous? If you are, that's fine. Just be upfront and honest about it and also realize it's probably not going to happen. I am so passionate about it. It's weird because it is a drug to me. Like you were saying, like people will get something and spend their all on it. It is uh, gambling. It's drugs. It's like all those things that you are highly addicted to. This is an addiction because the thrill the attention you you don't have to be the best dressed you don't have to be the smartest in the crowd if you're part of the paranormal field you're part of something well we've gotten past it now i think because it's become more accessible Mm -hmm. to a lot of people but when we got involved in this Mm -hmm. and moniz saw this you know, happen, and I—I I know I always joke about Moniz being old, but when I when I say that for anybody, I am old. But when I say it for anybody that's not familiar, you came up learning about this at a time before there was a lot of media focus on before it. Before the internet, let's and just be honest. Right. When when you started looking into this in the late '80s, you weren't looking at this and saying, I'm "Oh, someday I'm going to get on TV for this." Right. Uh, that was never even a thought I'm, because I'm, there weren't really any paranormal things out there except the occasional, you know, odd, you know, special or whatever. Yeah. There was no, like, regular TV series or shows, you know. Um, and if you, uh, if there was, so like, if, well, not only that, I mean, maybe the experiences were, but if you're on like In Search Of, Sightings, any of those things yeah. that might have existed, you know, what did you always see under that person's name? Professor, Professor. Lloyd Auerbach. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like you had to have the, you the had to have title. Yeah. Uh, to that, you know, the regular author common, uh, or author of, and yeah. So, yeah. you know, you came up at a time when people weren't focusing on that at all. We came up at a time when people realized, oh, if two plumbers from Rhode Island can get on TV for doing this, anybody can. Right. So it really kind of changed the game quite a bit. I think we've kind of gotten away from what the paranormal was then when we were coming through, which is a lot of it was the weird kid from when we were growing up suddenly was the cool kid. Yeah. And they didn't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. So, like, a, lo- a lot of these paranormal groups imploded because the leader of the group didn't know how to manage a group of people. That's because they were never in a social situation like that where they were the alpha. And so now you're putting them in a situation where they're supposed to be able to control and manage these personalities. And all they're doing is they're letting that all go to their head. And it's almost like, I was a nobody all my life and now I'm a somebody. And we were talking about a paranormal group earlier where, you know, they were the resident group and on a certain location. And you keep mentioning the same thing. Group. Group. When I started doing this, it was individual. Yep. There it was, was all mainly there were 
maybe a couple of people that would work together, mm -hmm. but there were no organized groups. Well, even if you look at the the group that brought it into the mainstream, TAPS, yeah. the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Society. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really just about the people that they were working with, but it was about the, the network that they were building. So they, right. they already knew that it was about more than just the 10 people that were working right. on cases in Rhode Island, but where can we kind of network with other people too? And so people and, went and in. And that's where things went sideways because. But the, South. Yeah, because what, what happens when you have groups? We're, we're watching a football thing on TV right now. Competition. But when you start competition, that's when you start division. That wasn't that wasn't the fault of the show, though. Or no, but I'm saying that's human nature. It, it was is, the way yeah. people were absorbing that and and processing it. They're like, oh, this is a team. So now, if I want to go out there and do this, I have to start a team. Yeah. And so it turned into like, okay, I need I need my you know Steve. I need my Tango. I need my you know whoever else mm -hmm. they want to get. Like they're they're looking to fill a role. And then we went through the period where it was the specialization, where we have to have our demonologist, we have to have our UFO person, we have to have our, you know, and at one point, even, you know, TAPS had all of that. They had an angelologist. Yep. They had a demonologist. They had the, they, you, know. you know, they had the moment where they had the interview with them. What do you think? What is this? Like, how do you feel about it? <clears throat> what do you think about what happened? And then that took up a two and a half minute slot. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the biggest problem with that specialization is you had people that were just like taking a role. Like it wasn't their lifelong pursuit or passion or research, or it wasn't like you were saying, eyes. We, yeah, we need a research. We need a demonologist. Go out and find somebody who is a demonologist and bring them onto the team. It was like, I guess I'll be the demonologist. That sounds cool. Yeah. You know, and that's where a lot of that started to break down too. I, I, I don't know if all those problems will be fixed. But I do know that there are more and more groups that are out there that are helping people. Mm -hmm. They are going, and, and uh, this is coming from me, who I, I will tell you, like, you don't have to be into the paranormal to help people. No. You're not, it's not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. But some people choose that path. And they're upfront about it. And there is more of that happening. But there, as that grows, as that sector of the paranormal grows, so will the people who want to be Hollywood, famous and Hollywood paranormal. I call it popular. So it's just it's just those people that are working towards the gains, not working towards the gains of the field, working towards the gains of the community. So that's a very now type of thing. See, I try to avoid using the terms field and community and all that stuff now because it it doesn't exist anymore. Well, the only, the only thing I think about, I think about Lyle Watson when I think about field. I think about a field scientist. I think about the people that are out there making their permanent marks on society, on the, the scientific community. And then there are people that are in the community in social media right now, in your face, like, hello, here we are. And then they could disappear in 10 days. We've seen prime examples of Playboy models that do that. And I'm not trying to say anything bad. You can be gorgeous and sexy and be spiritual and like the paranormal and do all of those things and create groups. There's no bounds to that. Wasn't, wasn't there a group, wasn't there a group that like tried to knock you off? Yes. And uh, what did they call themselves? It was very similar to your they name. Called them, they called themselves the name of my makeup company, which was Pretty Paranormal. Right. And so they, yeah. So they, obviously, then they, they made I a huge... I have a letter from the individual that started the group that asked me to be a part of it. I'm like, but your whole 
thing is that you hire only Playboy models, but I'm not. So you stole my name, stole my ideas, stalked my social media. Then I reached out to each one of the girls and I was like, listen, I'm human. It's fine. I'll give you a name. I have an idea bank that's like in the back of my head. Like I would have called them pretty creepy. Instead sure. of pretty paranormal. That that would have probably made better sense. Right. I was willing to give them pearls. I have so many ideas that I'll just say, hey, man, there's an information highway. But don't steal from me. Don't expect me to get on board with this. If you want to be my model in this, fine, whatever. I got no responses from them and only the response from that main guy that said that he had paranormal shows out there. Oh, that guy was ridiculous. <laughs> that guy was such a BSer. It was insane. You could say that all you want. Show me. Like, I was expecting it. He was so, like, fake Hollywood. I expected him to end an email with, like, we'll do lunch, babe. Yep. That's well, that's the end of the email that I got. It's so funny. <laughs> I believe it. Are you psychic, Tim? Have, have your people call my people. I, yeah, he was just that much. bad about it. It was so bad. And then, you know, we, we, we had them all booked a couple years ago. Uh, porn star paranormal. They were going to come on and, and then like that thing just fell out, you know, like it, it's no pun intended. <laughs> no, no. They were porn stars who were also paranormal investigators. Right. You know what? I hate to say that level. And also Scott Grunewald, great friend of mine. I love him to death. Uh, he does the, the naked and afraid type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but honestly, there might be a correlation between DNA skin and actually being part of the paranormal. We might be missing something with this fabric that we are wearing. We don't really know. Well, unless we the try skin suit. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that's when, what we are. We're born this way. We die this way. I mean, we as witches, we go out and we have cloaks that we take off for ceremonial issues because we don't want to bring any spiritual debris with us, like sand from a beach. Take it all off. You're completely naked. You are who you are. Skyclad. Love it. I thought you witches just took your clothes off so you wouldn't catch your clothes on fire with those giant bonfires that you build. You said you weren't psychic. No, but is he? Uh, I was say, is he getting naked now? I like, he was. are you giving him ideas? Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> that's uh, my devil horns. Good thing people can't see us because we're actually naked in the studio tonight. Like, but that 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 very part of scary. it is is kind of the way that I've gone with investigations like I don't run around with a bunch of equipment anymore neither I just go with myself and you know I'll do a few experiments and a few things but like I am I'm over collecting the data okay. I know that this stuff is real yeah and I know that I'm not going to convince anybody else at this point can I ask you the most generic question what's your favorite piece of paranormal equipment Tim uh well don't give him ideas Matt put your hand down was he pointing to his wig? Go uh, answer. My so the uh, the obvious answer to that is myself. Mm. Uh, that's that's what I find to be the most important thing. Matt, you cheater. But <laughs> I think the most important thing that people should bring with them, and I know you're going to say an open mind, Moniz, and that is true. <laughs> that is what people should bring with them. But I Correct. think the most important thing to bring with you is something to document yourself in the moment. For some people that might be recording it on audio, for some people that might be video, for some people that might be a notebook. <laughs> Pen and paper, yeah. But just bring something with you to to keep yourself in the moment and, and to be able to chronicle everything that goes on because I promise you, you're gonna forget some stuff. Yeah. It's like I keep trying to tell people when they talk about equipment, it's like, okay, equipment is just an extension 
of your natural senses. The camera picks up frequencies of and wavelengths of light your eyes don't. Your recorders pick up uh, frequencies your ears can't hear. You know, you've got, you know, thermal uh, thermometers picking up uh, heat and EMS that act like the galvanic responses of your skin. And they even have ion meters that work like your nose. And if you're tasting ghosts, you got issues. But, you know, uh, the point is the equipment is just an extension of you. One of, one of my it's lectures. Still, it's still you that's there that's collecting this information. The equipment is just auxiliary. One of one of my uh, lectures that I do is a Paranormal 101, and I, I will put out some equipment on the table, and I will always say, like, all right, what is the best piece of paranormal equipment? You know, what's the best piece of equipment that's ever been made? What I'm sorry. Let me take it back. Track, rewind. What is the best piece of equipment for detecting ghosts? Mm-hmm. And people will be like, oh, EMF detector. Oh, you know, we Ouija board, all this. It's like, no, none of that stuff is actually detecting ghosts. It's detecting environmental changes that we think are being caused by ghosts. And if we stop, I know it sounds stupid to say, and we've got a minute here before the break, so we'll have to pick it up on the other side, but we should probably stop getting so wrapped up in the idea of proving whether or not something is there. We need to get beyond that now and figure out the why and the how and the what it means and all of that. So we can definitely pick that up on the other side, but we are up against the break. Uh, We'll take a break for the news and some commercials. And then when we come back, we'll continue on our discussion with Rachel Hoffman. We'll talk some more about the the horror scene. We'll talk more about the paranormal. We'll also take your phone calls. 508-996-0500 is the number. Again, 508-996-0500. And we will also uh, take any emails you want to send in, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at SpookySC. Or you can use the hashtag SpookyLive. We follow along in all those different methods. Uh, we will not be on the air next week or the week after. It's the holidays, so we're going to take a couple of weeks off. Uh, but we'll be back in January when we'll be preparing to celebrate our 16th anniversary. Woo-hoo. That's right. Spooky South Coast gets its learner's permit next month. <laughs> uh, so stay off the roads. And uh, we'll also be able to start telling you about some of the things that we have planned coming up later on in the year. Uh, I will say just very quickly... I am doing my annual birthday fundraiser for the Wareham Historical Society, so find me on Facebook, and I will let you know more about that. We want to raise a, a good amount of money for them because they've been hurting because uh, uh, of COVID, of course. Everybody is, but we want to keep that Fearing Tavern and all those other historical buildings alive. So we'll be back after a quick break for the news and some commercials and then more Spooky South Coast on WBSM. advisor matt moniz and our guest slash co-host tonight is rachel hoffman returning to the show for the first time in a while but it won't be as long before you come back again no hopefully not i mean we did make you travel quite a ways to get here but i'll be back tomorrow we uh, (laughs) are 
Well, listen, we'll have an, an, a co-host spot for you whenever you're around. So just me. let us know when you're in the area and we'll we'll work it out. <laughs> we, we get lazy, though, and we don't always do a show every week. So, you know, give us some advance notice. We can be like, oh, I guess we're actually going to go in this week. Put the video cameras on next time so people can see us in all our glory. People are still clamoring for that up. video to return. <laughs> I was going to say, give me an up heads up time. I might be able to let you uh, stay at my guest house. Oh, that sounds like a good time. We're going to well, shoot you- some guns. Well, you've been to my house a couple of times already, so. Yeah. We've been shooting some AK-47s over there. Mo- Moniz is just showing off. A woman actually went to his house. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Listen, his gun range, too. Mo- <laughs> Moniz has women at his house all the time. Oh, I'm not special. No. The one, <laughs> there's the one who comes in and cleans up after him. There's the one, No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness. I'm just teasing him. I'm teasing him. This is what we do. We, yeah. we bust on each other. Actually, it's more me busting on him, mm-hmm. but, you know. I can I can take it if he fires back. He's just nice enough not to. <laughs> so we were talking before about you know, a lot about the paranormal world, and we will continue to do so. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit more about the world of horror. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the idea of the indie horror scene because some of the projects that you've worked on, I know they've been crowdfunded. Yes. So you, you actually are turning to the audience that wants to see these films. Uh, asking them to help finance it, and then of course they're now more invested in the final product, of course, because they're they're not only you know you get the people who pay the higher up perks that get to be listed as producers and all that, but even the people who just contribute five dollars now they feel like you know they have a piece of this and they want to see it succeed. That's a, a way for, and I think you know it happens more. I know documentaries do it quite a bit too, but I think indie horror does it more than anybody. And that's a way to connect the product with the audience in a way that 10 years ago never could have happened. Absolutely. And uh, it's a privilege, to be honest with you, uh, to have people dream big and want to be a part of a production. And a lot of these indie campaigns come with perks. So the perk would include a producer credit, a spot on the show, a line in the or, or, or to, to kill your favorite person. Stormy Daniels, for example. I know that uh, the crowdfunding for the indie campaign included her death in so the axe to grind. L- let's, just be, let's just be clear about this in case the FCC is listening. It means the on-screen death of the character. Yes. And also, for those who aren't familiar with, with horror, the kills in a horror movie are very important to the audience. Yes. You know, it's a big part of the and movie. And the manner in which they're killed yes. is, is... Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Big time. Like, you know, the same way, like, people who love comedies have their favorite jokey lines in every comedy. You know, horror fans feel that way about the kills. And, and like, so when they're reviewing the new Halloween film that came out uh, a couple months ago, like, that's one of the things they're focusing on is, like, what's the kill count? How do they have, or how unique are the kills? Yeah. Right. And poor Lenny Clark, man, that guy just got decimated in that movie. But anyway, uh, but that's, you know, so that's why this is such a perk for them to be able to take part in. And it's overall, and it's, uh, it's also the blood scenes, uh, a lot of the blood baths. Uh, the inventiveness of the individual. Um, we did uh, Death by Tarot for Go Straight to Hell with Ava. And yeah, she, my buddy, Ava. Yeah, Ava. Um, so they're inventive. And with these indie horror scenes, a lot of people don't realize that these actors are not paid up front. There's no guarantee. You don't have to show up. You show up or you don't. And when you don't, the creators have to be super inventive if you're the killer that was supposed to kill 15 people you don't show up and 15 people still have to die right the 
imagination, inventiveness, and the coordination between actors has to be solidified within the 72 hours that you have left to create this platform that people have paid all this money to see come to fruition. So in a way, I can assume there's also a lot of, uh, you know, a spirit of collaboration where somebody might come into it with an idea. Maybe the writer wrote a certain way, but then as you're going along, like, well, what if we did this? But what if we did this? And so you really do get a kind of a collaborative way of coming across with it. And that also will give everybody that's involved in the film feel like they have more ownership in it, too, as opposed to like other types of films where they just might not want that kind of input. Right. You know, I, I, I every horror director I've ever heard talk about working on their project, it's never been like, this is my vision. It's always been like, oh, like somebody on the crew suggested we do this. And so we added it in. And much like that, uh, we can't unsee the character of Jamie Lee Curtis. We can't unsee these characters that we come to much. We yeah. love them. They're, they're, yeah. they're in the fabric of our horror industry. We can't unsee them. We can't unlove them. We can't replace them. We try on a constant basis to recreate the 80s, 70s especially. In horror, it's epic. It's classic. And even right now, with a lot of the things that we're seeing come to fruition, we're seeing tracing back to the roots of the 70s and 80s where it was more ground FX than computer FX. Yeah, it's about the practical stuff. The but suspense. The, the difference is there seems to be at least, as much as some of these films have those 70s, 80s sensibilities, that there is more of a, an understanding now that the stuff that happened in those years can't really happen now. Yeah. Like if you look back to the movies we grew up watching, there was a lot of underage nudity. Now, of course, the well. actresses were the actresses were of age, but they were implying that they were 16, 17 year old 14. girls running around with no yeah. shirt on. Yeah. You know, like that stuff doesn't fly anymore. Um, and that's it, good. That's growth. And, and the women who were portrayed in those films were often, you know, dumb sluts who got themselves into those situations. Now we're seeing, you know, and I, I'm not even talking about the whole final girl phenomenon, but, you know, we're seeing stronger people in those scenes. So you may still have to die. Yeah. But you're not going to die because your character is just some dumb bimbo and you're not going to just be a hapless victim. Like most of the time you're going to get a chance to get a few licks in before you die. Right. So the vigilante now has become the woman scorned, which should be the new popular. It should be because if you were following in the era, that's the order of the natural cause of things. Like people get pissed off. If you pick and pick and pick, somebody's going to take revenge eventually. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's happened right now is that the female has been the victim. The blonde with the big boobs is running away. She's going to die soon. And trips over an invisible log as right. the killer comes after her. Right. And so much of those social constructs are being broken down right now by the horror industry. And I'm loving it. I'm loving right now watching the women that were once portrayed as the victims being the vigilante. You know, they are the ones coming back with the story. And the the horror fan, as much as you want to kind of look at the the stereotypes of them. So, you know, Moniz and I growing up in the 80s and the 90s, you know, we're watching these these horror movies that we're definitely trying to appeal to the teenage boys. Mm -hmm. But those teenage boys, as much as they watch things that might have been somewhat exploitative, 
even they knew like this isn't really the real world. This isn't the way that it should be. Like there's a way for this to be better. So you don't have all of these purists that are like, no, we should go back to the eighties when it's all just, you know, women showing their boobs and then getting killed by the by the killer. Even like, as a teenage kid <clears throat> watching Friday the thirteenth, when the very first one that came out, you know, yeah, there was gratuitous nudity and things like that. But what captivated me about that type of horror w was Jason himself. Yeah. The the kids and then it were just ancillary to Jason. Jason was that iconic murderer. He was the iconic boogeyman. Okay? The the kids were just you know, it was the 80s. Actually, I think it was 1979 when... Uh, uh, 81, I think. 80, 80 or 81 for... Yeah, so I, 79... I think it was 80. 80. Yeah, so I, I knew I was a teenager watching it in the movie theater back then. But m my thing was, you know, these are the kitschy things, and, you know, the kids, you know, Kevin Bacon getting the thing pushed through his throat and stuff like that. That was all good and gore, but... To me, the real star of it was the horror that Jason portrayed, okay? The fear that he instilled well, in, in, in the other characters and what you felt in the audience as yeah. a teenage kid watching it. Mm -hmm. that, that was me, too, and I, I always saw out the underdog. And the underdog, if you look at the backstory of these individuals, they are the underdogs they are the people that were bullied and they and, snap yep that's yep. or or as so they see it cleaning up the field of stupid mm -hmm. you know? well i mean i talked about this with kane hodder where jason is kind of because of the way they portrayed it he's kind of the embodiment of the consequence of yes. premarital sex. I love that. You know, where it's like, okay, you're going to do this and then you're going to die from it. So, I mean, there's a lot of people who speculated in the 80s that it was, especially the later films, uh, because, you know, it was more gratuitous the way that people would die. Um, they were like, okay, you know, that was almost an allegory for the AIDS epidemic that, you know, you're, this is what happens if you have unprotected underage sex, you know, and, you know, you're not in a monogamous relationship. Somebody's going to come and kill you. And maybe that's something is Jason and maybe that's something is, you know, AIDS. Thank God the Zodiac killer didn't have any part to play in that. <laughs> we would be really screwed. Well, the the good thing is, though, we've we've also changed what we see about evil. So, like, if you look at the latest B Halloween e film, or little E, mm. it. it in terms of the way that we want to see our villains. Okay. So we've really changed. And I'm not going to ruin the new Spider-Man movie if anybody's ever, if anybody hasn't seen it yet. But I will just say it's a very interesting take on villains. Mm. And okay. it's where things are kind of changing a little bit. And horror has seen this too, where we're seeing where they're, they're, they are sometimes a sympathetic figure. Yeah. They have a backstory. And you know, Freddy Krueger became the hero of his movies to the point where everybody wanted to see Freddy win and they wanted to see the kids all die. Uh, and when you think about it, boy, that's really terrible of us because we, we were rooting for a child molester, <laughs> but they also kind of left that backstory alone the more popular he got. But we also now, you know, we see horror um, villains or, or, or horror antagonists, we'll say. We see them being more developed and also the people who they're going against finding what that weakness is 
what that trauma is that caused it and using that to take them down, usually taking them down by, you know, it's okay, Jason. You know, yeah. I understand what happened to you. Yeah. You know, and that that's showing that there is more of a connection with the audience who have gone through those same kind of things. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, the, the villain is more relatable than the teenagers that are fighting for their lives. And the truth is we've all been bullied. We've all been Jason. We've all been Freddie. We've all been burned in some way, metaphorically speaking. And we can see why they would want to. Good example. Saw. We've all had, you oh, know. Oh, good one. Yeah. That, that's a villain that got to where he was because of what happened to him through society and everything else. And he decided to take it out on people. Now, I'm going to bring up what I call a horror movie, but other people say, no, that's sci-fi. The original Alien. Okay, I thought that was horror. Yeah, it's a yeah, horror film. I would consider a horror film set in a sci-fi setting. Mm -hmm. But the, the horror came from the suspense of not knowing. Yes. And it it was the interaction of the crew and how they were starting to basically turn on each other. Turn on, exactly, turning on each other rather than getting together. Even though they were trying to eliminate this threat, the threat slowly picked them apart Well, because they were starting to go look, after each other. Look, look at, first of all, look at Jaws. You know, yeah, a movie that I don't, movie. I don't think it would be nearly as popular today if it came out in the theater. No. Uh, I think it's just beloved now, so people love it, but I don't think it would do as well because people need something more gratuitous. You barely saw the shark in that film. That's what's beauty. And, and the music is what really right. brought in the tension. Mm. And then the other part of it is, you know, you have uh, it, the, the horror of it wasn't just the fact that the shark was going after people, but it was the fact that people were ignoring that, that, you know, the sheriff is on a one-man crusade to get people to listen, that the town's not shutting down for the busiest weekend of the summer. You know, like, all of those parts are, all of that is part of the horror of it because you realize, like, if we were in this situation, you know, this might be the way that it goes. Like, the, the zombies and The Walking Dead are the least important part of that show now. The real horror is, like, what people would do to each other in that type mm -hmm. of a situation. So it goes back to Jurassic Park, the chaotician. The chaotician that is within all of us. We are looking for chaos. It's the mm -hmm. chaos theory. It's we don't know which way the drip is going to go. We only know how we're going to react. And that's not going to be good. And right. that's why they let out that alien interaction during COVID. Because it was super important to have something that counteracted that amount of media. So we don't want people to overreact. We want them to underreact. We want to control how they react to the chaos. And so we'll introduce several things that are chaotic at once. And then there's a certain level of calm that happens. What, you're referring to the disclosure that they had during COVID? Yeah. I, I knew about that coming. <laughs> Go, but that's that, I don't doubt that. Going, going back to the what you were saying before too about the, the personalities of the killers you know another reason why I think Jaws wouldn't work Jaws and Alien and movies like that is because there was no story for the killer the killer exists just to kill right right and we're seeing that now with the new Halloween film where 
and again, you know, spoiler alert a little bit to the people who haven't seen it yet, because it's the second of a trilogy, so you know that there's another movie coming. At the end of the movie, Michael Myers, you know, gets away. So they, but they talk about it as him being almost like the embodiment of evil. And that's where you need to go with it to sustain that type of character, mm -hmm. because he should be a sympathetic figure mm -hmm. in terms of what he's gone through. Uh, granted he killed his sister but still like you know what he's been going through and at some point you just want him to find peace you they, can't completely hate him and you, have, you, to, need, you have to like identify with him in some way but you need to hate him in order to keep the story going at this point so it's like they've got to kind of force that mm -hmm. that's why like I think Freddy was never going to stay a, a horror movie villain because he became a rock star because yeah. he you know the, 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 that popularity and it it, it <clears throat> never happened with Jason because the movies kind of prevented it from happening and he wasn't a dynamic figure. But also, I, I have to say that they started merging Freddy with Michael Jackson and they started giving him that sexual pelvis and they started giving him that platform and to be honest with you, it only takes a tilt of a pelvis to get the attention of a woman. So, honestly, like, it case. became... That, <laughs> hey! No. <laughs> I'm on a spinny chair. My pelvis doesn't really move that way. You guys can't see what I'm seeing right now. But. My lower back ain't going to allow anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so the, adding that uh, element of sexuality to Freddy was super important and enticing, and where Jason, they couldn't. He was right. still underwater. Well, and Freddy the issue the with Freddy there is his sexuality... Uh, if you go back to the original story, is fierce. Yeah, that, that, well, he was a pedophile, right? Yeah, that's my point. It's like, and then you're going to enhance his sexuality going forward, well, like, like they did with Ted Bundy. Look at the second. Look at the second film too. I mean, yeah, yeah now yeah. it is now it is appreciated for what it is. You know what they couldn't really come out and say in those days, but it's a gay horror film. Yes, and you know you see Freddie sticking his tongue in people's ears and you know you see him being sexual with the male characters and it's almost and like what about the junkie where you know all the little open mouths and being right, right. And, and, and it's that same trifecta that we were talking about earlier that nobody has really laid precedent on which is that fact that true crime has been the catalyst for all horror movies but, thus I mean, far that's in what America. It, that's what it is. It's, and it's really scary that we are the monsters within ourselves and that we can relate to these characters because maybe there is something relatable about these we're, serial killers. We're just talking about horror movies and, and stuff like that and horror villains on a silver screen. Mm. You're touching on true crime. There are far more scary Real crime. Well, the monsters. catalyst for the catalyst for uh, the Silence of the Lambs, the catalyst for all those things. Yeah. It's it's Texas true, Chainsaw. Yeah, it's yeah. true crime. It's Ed Gein. It's the it's the true crime that we are afraid to touch on. It's almost like this really happened, but let's make it a character that's almost unbelievable, and let's add that that pelvis to him, and make him undeniably awesome. And then, what is he? He's a hero now. He's Ted well, Bundy is a hero. How many victims can we name so that Ted we, Bundy killed? Can we talk about Lisa Levy? Can we talk about her favorite her, her favorite flavors, her her cereal, where she went to college? No, but you see people... Jeffrey Dahmer as a horror movie. That, to me, that's a real crime, true type of horror. You get somebody that is both pedophile as well as cannibal. Silence of the Lambs like, touched on that on so same, many different ways. But I'm saying... Th that type of genre 
in human society, not just being on the silver screen, this is reality. This is where we really live. But people hyper-focus it on being heterosexual, where they don't realize that Jeffrey Dahmer was Was a homosexual. And a lot of these these individuals, um, they weren't victimizing young blonde females with big boobs. They were men that were in the community that were larger than life, and they were being taken down by drugs, by by street effects, by a lot of different things. So it didn't just have to be that blonde, big boob. That was Hollywood. That's what I'm saying. Those type of crimes are more dangerous because they're definitely closer to home. Home, yes. But the, the, the scarier part to me is, like, listen, I'm fine with everybody loving true crime because I think if we... The reason why we're so enamored by it and interested by it is because we're not going to go out and do those things on our own. So, like, we're fascinated by this darker side of the human psyche. What bothers me is the fact that there's, you know, and there's women, especially, that I see on my social media who like fawn all over these killers. Put them on a pedestal. Like, I think Ted Bundy is a very charismatic and attractive man. I'm really into Richard Ramirez. Like they, But they don't know he's a necrophiliac. But they don't, they know the story, but it doesn't stop them from being attracted to the person no, based on know, the story. They know that succumbing to a man being on top of them and them not being responsible for their pleasure, that's all they know. That's what they know. That's us as women. We have been taught if we have pleasure in a relationship or in a sexual experience that we're bad. So some of these people replace that that kind of need that they have to want to be free with their sexuality, with having to be overtaken in order to feel pleasure. Okay, that brings me back to an, one of the original like horrorish type of murder things, uh, and he wound up with all kinds of women involved with them. And Mason? Yeah. Yeah, I knew. Manson. Manson. Yeah. Why did I say Mason? Yeah, I don't know. Charlie. He was Charlie thinking about Jackie Man- Mason. No, <laughs> but I'm saying Charlie Manson used sexuality and things like that to control the girls that went out and did the crimes. Mm-hmm. And he controlled them through. I think the drugs yeah. helped too. Well, even afterwards. I read a whole bunch of things, and I actually had a letter back and forth with Charlie Manson back in the day. But the the thing about him was, it was sex was used as a means of control, okay? And that's how he got people to do things. Uh, the guy Jim, you know, was one of the guys that he would basically ferried the women to. He would have them, you know, serviced by Jim and whatever, and then, oh, thank you. You Okay, now I want you to go out and do this and that for me. Another form of control, because Manson himself was like five foot four and 120 pounds, but... Yeah, very small man. Yeah, and Jim was like six foot three. But the point being, he understood that if he could control how that energy was used, he could control the rest of what he would make these people do. You know, Jim was happy to take care of things. So, mm-hmm. hey, if he's sending me girls and, you know, you want me to go drive the car, to, okay. Yeah. You, get, you got what I'm saying? It's a cycle. Correct. 
everybody was happy with whatever they were receiving. Yeah, they were all happy with what they were getting. So if Charlie said, go handle this over here, okay. So Charlie never was personally involved with any of the crimes, but yet he was still... The catalyst. Correct. Well, and, you know, as we know locally here, you know, Carl Drew didn't, yeah. didn't yeah, commit to the murder. Degree, well, yeah. I mean, they claim that he committed a previous murder, but the murder that he was convicted for, he didn't actually commit. So, but, and I'm not, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I, I, I'm not saying like <coughs> he was innocent in the situation. He's not the one that physically cut off her head. Right. Uh, he just gave the order to. And the most important thing for people to know right now in society and in that judicial system is if you are the component for the reason that someone's killed, you are more than guilty than the person that mm-hmm. swung the, the knife. So just going back to the to the idea of, of horror in the 21st century, we, we, you know, we're talking about this because we all love it and because we've seen a lot of it. So the challenge is there to find new things and new stories to tell and new ways to tell that story. Do you feel that the, the projects that you've worked on have found that or is it more of let's be you know let's pay more homage to what came before and let's kind of revisit some of that with a new new perspective i think the initiation is always to pay homage always like we always start out with what can i do to pay homage to what i felt as something in my childhood but the reinvention and the new age coming right now is that the underdog is going to come out on top so we're going to see the man that's beaten down or the woman right now that's beaten down to the point where she or he can't take it anymore and then they rise above that and that's a hero that's a real hero we we all in america face that right now so falling down is a uh, uplifting story then it's a relatable story true I it's, mean, it's relatable to. It's very point. memeable for people the way they feel today. Yeah, it is. Like I, I will turn my head towards an experience where somebody, instead of saying like, "Oh my gosh, I went out on stage and I like blew away everybody," I, I got the performance like hands down. I'll probably like turn the page, but if somebody says like, "I went out on stage and I was thinking about my mom or dad or something," and it strikes a chord with me, I'm there i'm that's my that's my channel now like i'm i'm there you you got me you know there's also like what we what we can utilize for horror has changed too because we don't i mean if you look at american horror story for example i don't love every season of it uh sometimes i think it's a huge miss but also like there's a lot of social commentary that happens in that show and a lot of social commentary that happens in good horror films too Mm -hmm. because at the very core of it, we know that whatever that situation is that people are involved in in a horror story is because of societal influence. So it's really scary when we can extrapolate stuff that we are definitely going through. So, for example, there was that movie that came out a couple of years ago. Um, I can't think of the name of it now. But it was the one where, it, like, everybody was all up in arms. All conservatives were all up in arms about this film because it depicted, you know, liberal elites bringing, you know, basically Trump supporters, although they never use that term, but bringing Trump supporters to a farm and then shooting them all, hunting them all down and killing them. Mm. And so they're like, this is a movie that's just poking fun at people that believe in the things that we believe in. But if they'd actually watched the film, 
The Hunt, I think it was called. If they just watched the film and they realized it, they were satirizing everybody. Yeah. So it wasn't just the people that were, they were also satirizing the elite and probably roasting the elites more than they were the, you know, the, the, the Trump supporting people that were being the, the victims. And like, I was realizing it as I was watching that, like, we're not, we need to get back to the idea of like horror that can be the horror for everybody mm -hmm. being the victim. Like if you, if you watch, you know, the walking dead for an example, like I've maintained this for a long time. It's different now, but for the longest time I felt like Rick Grimes and his group of people were the bad guys in that show. Like they were the terrible people that were going through and uprooting what everybody else was doing for what they thought was right. Like they were inserting themselves into other positions you know, it's changed now, but like... I was just going to say, Negan is good guy. Hmm. Ah, well, <laughs> do you watch it now? Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. Because, now, they're, because they're, they're pushing in that direction. So, you know... I haven't. I have to be honest. Um, when Negan came into the picture, as great, sexual, amazing as he is, I stopped. Because it went from being about zombies and the apocalypse versus the people to the people versus the people. And I was dealing with that every day sure. in my life at that point. And so it was too much reality for me. I wanted to get away from reality and see some things that couldn't yeah. really be possible. Sure. And, and and that's, you know, that's why I thought, see, I, I was ready to, I, I hate watched that show for a long time where I was like, this show is terrible. Everybody thinks that it's so great, but it's bad, but I'm still going to watch it because I'm invested now. Right. And, but there's been so many times that I thought about giving it up. And over the last few years, it's, it's gotten better because like, it's more about, okay, this is more believable of what the world might be, you know, 10 years removed now or however long it's been since it actually happened. And, but you're starting to see like little glimpses of social commentary in that too. And what else was I watching they recently? Can't help it. I was watching something recently that I was like, oh, there's a lot of social commentary in there too, and people are going to rail against it. I can't remember what it was. But that railing against it is also a marketing tactic. Sure. Like, you want people to. I mean, there's going to be people that watch the new Spider Man film and it's are. Hmm? Yeah. They're going to walk away from it being like, you know, oh, that was stupid. Like, it was designed that that's way. That's not what I wanted in a Spider Man movie. Uh, but, you know, they're obviously fully invested in the... They're going to be negative anyway yeah. about it. Uh, you know, even a movie that I think is going to get like 99% positive reviews, like you're going to have some people that are against it. I love watching bad movies. Oh, yeah. That's, that's my favorite because I'm like... During, during the whole pandemic, mm -hmm. a friend of mine runs an online like pirate network where every Saturday night she would show bad movies. It was... It was designed specifically for this, she would just run an entire night, like eight or nine hours of bad movies and bad clips to put in between them. And we would all like, wherever we were in the world, we would all sit in front of our TVs or our computers with a drink and we would watch these bad movies and we would, we'd be on discord commenting about it. And it was, it was, you MST3K did. That's one of, no, seriously, I love MST3K. I would say that we were not as, uh, we were probably not as witty, but yeah, we the the also, no, I, but the point you know being, that you know, you know you know that I'm a mystery science theater three thousand reference, right? Yes, I get it. Did, did you were you aware that I'm a reference on that? No, Tim, I was not aware. Okay, of that. no, I'm totally fucking aware of that. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna tell the story for those who don't know. There's the Thanos, the Hands of Fate episode. 
Manos. Manos, sorry. I was thinking of... Mar- I got my Marvel confused. Manos, <laughs> the Hands of Fate episode, as they're driving in the car and it's playing all the jazz music, they're like, can Tim we pull Weisberg. over and let Tim Weisberg out now? Yeah. It is not me, for everybody yeah. that keeps asking. It's gotten to the point where like people, lie. people don't remember that there's a flute player anymore. <laughs> you should lie. Actually, you should get a t-shirt that says... Not me. Not I, that Tim Weisberg. I almost, I almost had you a t-shirt have got made. The t- no, no, I almost had a t-shirt made that said, can we drop off Tim Weisberg now? Because there's another, in addition to the flute player, Tim Weisberg, there's another guy. He's younger than me. He's also, he was a sports writer, but now he works in California for the state government or the municipal government. So at one point I was going to, on my Saturday morning show, which was called the Tim Weisberg show, we were going to have me and him and the flute player all together on the show at the same time like so tim how are you tim well i'm good tim how are you tim well what do you think tim like we thought that that would have been really it's funny fun. that you should say that i was going to start a podcast called what's in a name and then invite all the rachel hoffmans yeah i was gonna say there's a lot of rachel hoffmans and they're all good looking sorry okay they're all good looking i rachel hoffman maybe the, you're a good looking girl maybe the name makes the the appearance i would like to believe that i have not seen hmm. an ugly rachel hoffman yet Listen, the Tim Weisberg who played the flute had a beard too, so maybe maybe the name makes the beard. There's the thread. There's the comment. There's about thread. eight Matt Monizes around here and about twelve Matt Costas. How many of them are good looking, Matt? I don't know. Well. One of the Matt Costas is actually famous. Really? There's, there's a Matt Costa who's a singer. Like what's in a name that needs to be our next venture? Okay. Matt Monizes. Tim Weisberg, Rachel E. Hoffman. Oh, we could also start picking apart some of the fake names in the paranormal. Oh, can oh, we God. please? Can we please? <laughs> Isn't that about 80% of them? Oh, but, it might be. Everyone what? that wears a black t-shirt in the paranormal, prove who you really are. Well, listen, I was wearing black because t-shirts. Because that black t-shirt will really make a difference when you go into a place that has spiritual activity. Listen, I was wearing black t-shirts to, long you know, before I was in the paranormal. <laughs> I like when people are like, oh yeah, the black t-shirt. I'm like, oh yeah, you know that it's white and night vision, right? I, I, I wear the black t-shirts because I always wore black, even before it, because I spill a little Slimming. stuff. But no, in night vision during the day, you can see through the cloth. Do you know that? Yes. Shh! Don't tell anybody else. And thermals <laughs> doesn't matter what what color you're wearing. Thermal, if you're blushing, we see it. Well, there was the um, what was it the? I think it was a Ghost Hunters episode where one of the women wore white uh, wore black pants, and that was a huge mistake. Huge. And, yep. And nobody, but nobody bothered to tell them while they were filming. Oh God. So and and uh, Derek on Twitter. Uh, said, stop talking about Spider-Man. And I replied back, I gave no spoilers. And I, I didn't. I did not give any spoilers. What I was saying He's was... He's like, I am Spider-Man. There's a, I was talking about a movie that will be universally loved by everybody, but will still have some people that say that it sucks because some people just want to be negative. Tim Weisberg, you suck. That is gonna, that's what he said. I'm joking. That was De- the ghost of the studio. Derek would just be mad at me because he missed the Karate Glove commercial last night oh. when I had some streaming issues. On Did my it have show. spidey senses? Uh, uh, me or the movie? The glove. Oh, the Karate Glove? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> uh, so we are just about out of time. We have our final couple of moments here. I want to give Rachel a chance to let everybody know what's coming out and when, at least the, the release dates that you're aware of so far, so that they can keep an eye out for some of these films. 
I have uh, five new movies coming out this year. I am going off social media, so if you guys are interested in seeing me, I don't know, just look on the cloud somewhere. No. IMDb is the place to find me. Um, I will be pretty much promoting everything on there. And if anybody wants a part of the horror industry, indie community, anything, you can purchase your part on the next few indie campaigns that we're going to be running, and it'll be amazing, just like it always has been. If you want to kill someone, if you, like, metaphorically kill someone. <laughs> yeah, on, in the screen. Movies, on screen. On screen, yeah. On screen, we have to be very specific about that. Or if you want a producer credit or anything, really. like We, we should make a movie where people could pay to kill us, oh. like the spooky crew. And just we'll come just, in at we'll, any time. Yeah. Anything that, we, anything that we have extra over the cost of producing it, we'll just donate to charity. But I like it. I bet you there's a lot of people that'd be willing to pay money to murder me. Uh, I hey, think they've already killed you, you like in their mind like 20 times. <laughs> I believe it. I believe, especially the audience on WBSM. Wait till they start <laughs> hearing me like spew some more of my liberal stuff. And they're like, yeah, how much to, to kill that guy on screen? I'll totally pay for that. <laughs> so yeah, so keep in, keep in touch with Rachel on IMDB. Absolutely. And uh, and that's a good way to, to see all the projects because you know they list everything when it's forthcoming and when the expected release dates are. Yes. So you'll be able to follow along with that and support everything that she has going on. Uh, and of course, you know, we always support indie horror too here. So if anybody out there has projects that they want to make us aware of, let us know and we'll be happy to talk about it here on the show. But that'll about do it for this week's program. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks after the holidays. We'll return. So I think that would be like eighth, I think. Somewhere around So Elvis's right. birthday we'll come back for. Uh, and then we'll talk more about the paranormal as we lead up to our 16th anniversary coming up on January 26th. Uh, we, we haven't had a party in years. Maybe we should have a party again. Backyard barbecue. Can we wear stockings? Nothing but stockings? If that's the kind of party you want to have. Although, that's the only party I want to have. I don't think if you do that, we can have it at the same place where we had the last party at Knuckleheads. No, we can't. So, which, okay. are, which I saw the photos this week came up that Rachel was at the last Oddfest we I was wearing we stockings. There. And then we had... Um, w w the first anniversary party we did there too. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we'll have to if see. If I wasn't there, it didn't happen. No, I'm <laughs> I think that might have even been before we knew you. I sat on your lap in the second one. That's the only one that existed. That is true. We almost took a photo like that today, or we didn't. Well, hey, we still got time. Guys. All right, that'll do it for tonight's show. Uh, until next week, everybody have a safe and happy holidays. You know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. We'll talk to you soon. Stay spooktacular.